Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. Wisdom from the Wilderness. If you read your Bible and just take some time to meditate on what you're reading, The Holy Spirit brings out things from the Bible to apply to your life. And though uh, the context of what you read may, may be totally different than where you are, you, you see principles there that you mine those out and you say, I think I've learned something from this. I think I can apply this to my life. So we have a story from the Old Testament that anybody who has spent their life in Christianity, in church, would be well acquainted with. It's the story of Israel wandering in the wilderness. I think that whole story contains so many life lessons. We could not exhaust them, certainly not today. It would take many, many, many sermons to even do justice to what we learn from Israel wandering in the wilderness. But the great exodus, a book bearing that name, the great exodus, serving as such a major message not only of the Old Testament, but a major message of the entire communication of God to man, that he can bring us out. Of course, after Israel came out of Egyptian bondage, we know that they spent 40 years running around in the wilderness. And there's many of the famous stories from the Old Testament that are centered in that time period when they were in the wilderness. They didn't have to spend 40 years there, except that by their own poor decisions, they were forced to spend 40 years there. It could have been a a very quick journey. It could have been out of Egypt, across the wilderness, and in the Canaan land, except if you have this whole story clear in your mind and the chronology of it, you know that when their first opportunity to enter into the promised land was given to them, there were a majority of the spies who said, we can't do this. In fear, they lost their immediate possession of the promise. And God used their time in the wilderness in order to purge Israel of those people who were fearful, faithless. And it took a generation to purge those out. Many of you have heard the scripture verse from Psalm 
about a man's days being numbered. Uh, three score and ten, and perhaps four score, 70 to 80 years. And you've probably heard somebody say that's, that's all we're guaranteed. But see, that's a misapplication of that scripture. That's not talking about how many years you are promised at all. As a matter of fact, it, it really doesn't take much deep thinking to unravel that. Because as you go back through the history of mankind, uh, our days, our expected life, ex- uh, uh, our life expectancy has been increasing with our conditions, living conditions, and our health care. It hasn't been that terribly long ago when the life expectancy of people was only about 40, 50 years old. And then it got to 60. And, and of course, now we're seeing people that are commonly living to 70 and 80. And then we see those exceptions that are getting up uh, older than that. So... A man's life is three score and ten or four score. No, that really doesn't apply. What it does apply to is to the people in the wilderness that God said everybody over 40 years old is going to die off. You will not live beyond 70 or 80 years because you are the people that just aren't getting with it. Now, that was an isolated incident. I don't mean to infer by any application that everybody here 40 years and older are not getting with it. That's not the biblical application. But for those people, it was. So God used that 40 years to set a limit on their life and, and rid the company of Israel of those that God determined was not trusting in him. And by the time that 40 years was up, we had a fresh new uh, crop of people that were now ready and ambitious and prepared to receive God's promise. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 2, there's a few scriptures I'm going to read here that will kind of set, build the platform for what I want to share with you today. It says, Then we turned back and set out towards the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea, as the Lord had directed me. For a long time we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, you've made your way around this hill country long enough. Now, turn north. Give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. They will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. In other words, as you pass through this country, don't mess with them. Be very courteous. Pay for anything you need from them. Leave in good relationship. Don't threaten them that you're taking their land. Let them know you're leaving them alone. Verse 7. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. Now that's it. 
as God has just described in a nutshell, this is the way it has been. This is the highlights of your 40 years in the wilderness. So my first point is this, recognizing God was there for us. Gary Paxton wrote a song several years ago called He Was There All the Time. A very touching song, one of my favorites even to this day, even though it dates me quite a bit. He was there all the time waiting patiently in line. And as we look back over our life, we begin to see those times when God was there. We didn't see it at the time. But a review of our life clearly reveals, God, you were there. I can see now. You were taking care of me. You were watching out for me. And at the end of this 40 years wandering, Moses declares God was there. Just look back over it and see those episodes of my presence, my hand of provision and guidance. I can see God's hand of blessing upon Israel. You can too if you're familiar with the story. The first statement that they use is, The Lord your God has blessed all the work of your hands. And this, this statement is intended to draw attention to God's blessings on the children of Israel while, while they were in the wilderness. Not that God really, literally blessed every work of their hands. For how many of you remember the golden calf episode? Was that the work of their hands? Did God bless it? No. But it's a general statement of while you were there, the things that were worthy of being blessed, God blessed them. Nevertheless, God's blessing on them in the wilderness, even though He didn't bless the bad things they did, God's blessing on them should not be something we deny or forget. Clearly, the wilderness was not conducive to a place of prosperity. No one would expect to go into the wilderness and have abundance and increase. We would expect to go into the wilderness and struggle, scratch out a survival, trying just to make it. After all, you're not surrounded with farmable land. And these were nomads. They didn't settle down. They just kept moving. And during that time, the testimony is, God blessed you while you were in conditions where you wouldn't think you would be blessed. You're blessed in the wilderness. Blessed in not only the big things, but blessed in the little things. And as they pondered on that, I think the Holy Spirit would unfold to them. He was there. Look at the good things he did. The next thing it says is he watched over your journey. So looking back over that, we see God was watching out for us. How many of you could immediately share this morning a time in your life when you were in danger and you narrowly escaped and after that you gave all the praise and the glory to God because 
he spared you. He saved you. Can anybody got those testimonies right? My goodness, this would be an interesting service this morning to listen to these moments. But I'm the one that has the mic, so I'll share one. There's so many of them. So many of them. How God watched over me throughout my life. I told you about almost being crushed by a 12-ton Greyhound bus. I was foolishly underneath of it trying to change a tire. And I know that it makes sense you don't change from underneath it. But you have to understand, I, I had to use two jacks to get the thing up high enough to get the tire off. And it started sliding in the snow. And just instinctively, I just pulled on the frame and shot myself under, from underneath the bus. And it, it came down flat. There wasn't two inches of space left from where I was. It was just instinctive. Did I have a worship experience with the Lord right then? Thank you. It'll make you love him. Or the time I was bringing our old worn-out Maverick back from Kansas City. I went to Kansas City in the old Maverick, and the clutch went out of it. Now, I'm a very resourceful kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy that I never say quit. I can wring the last little bit out of any situation. If you break down on the road, you want me with you. I will make something happen. And so the clutch goes out. And what this literally means is there was metal against metal. There was no uh, raybestos, asbestos, or any material left on the clutch plate to grip the flywheel, so whenever I let the clutch out, it was metal against metal. You don't get any grip with metal against metal. But I did discover with working with this that if I could just get it rolling, I could let the clutch out and I could just nurse it just enough to, to uh, keep it going. And, and so my, my determination was I have to get back home. I'm not calling a tow truck. So my philosophy was from Kansas City to keep this thing rolling nonstop till I got 90 miles to Chillicothe. You have to be very creative in your driving to do this. And I was able to get it going, and when I'd catch a hill, I'd nurse it and nurse it and shift gears and get it going, and I could get it up pretty good speed, except on the interstate, even the hills on the interstate, which are not tremendous hills, were enough that I would lose my grip and it would start spinning. So I had to nurse it up the hill. And I would be topping the interstate hill, however slow it happened to be, probably sometimes as slow as 15 mile an hour, just to get it over the hill. Just enough to get it going down the next hill, and here we go. <clears throat> but I, <clears throat> I realized that there was going to be a junction down here where I would have to pull up a ramp and get off of the interstate and get onto Highway 36, and I couldn't make it up that hill. So I chose at one point to take an exit and take some back roads, some country roads, to miss that. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because on the country roads, I was really picking up some speed. I was taking advantage of that. I could get that thing going. But how many of you know country roads don't always have stop signs at the intersections? And I was so proud of myself that I was going along these country roads and getting this car up and down these hills. And going down one hill, I said, man, this is a good hill. I got all kinds of speed up until I realized I was about to cross a paved road. 
and it was too late to stop it. What do you do when you do that? You pray. It's natural. You just pray. And so I'm praying. And I shot across that road and just brave enough to shoot a glance to my right, to my left. And I noticed I was just seconds in front of a car that was passing there. One of us was going to be in bad shape if that hadn't have been just at that right time. And once again, I had this wonderful worship experience with God. Well, it's not about me this morning. I'm just sharing things that probably you have stories you could tell that would be just, just as adventurous, <laughs> just as captivating. As you, you come away and you say, God, you spared me. You spared me. I, you've got something for me. <laughs> You're not done with me yet. And that's what God does. We look back over our journey and, and I want you all to look at your life's journey. It doesn't make any difference if you've spent your life living for God or not. I'm telling you, God has been watching over you. Not because you chose at earlier point in life to call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, and therefore He has special favor for us, because you're His child. Even if, even if you haven't been living for God, you would be considered a wayward child. But He loves you. And He's watching out for you. And you, I, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to bring those times into your mind this morning where you had that n close call, that narrow escape. And I'm asking you to be honest enough in your spirit to take a moment and just at this point say, God, thank you for sparing me. Thank you for watching over me. It was God. Number three, he said, you have not, not lacked anything. For the Israelites who lived through this experience, they had stories to tell. Children were born to them, and there wasn't any television to watch or video games to play. But entertainment in that culture uh, could often have been just sharing their knowledge of what had gone on before. Telling the tales... We, we have people here who have been in the military who've got war stories. I'm fascinated by war stories. People have gone through things that are unthinkable. I like to hear these people who have these stories. Can you imagine these children of Israel as the father pulls one of the little grandsons or granddaughters up and they say, they say to, to them, uh, Grandpa, Papa, whoever you are, Tell us again that story. And he said, all right, there we were at the edge of the water and Pharaoh in hot pursuit of us. We didn't know where to go, no weapons, no chariots. And we were cornered between the proverbial devil and the deep blue sea. And then Moses walked up there and smote the waters and they just began to part. And the great wind came and blew the mud dry, and we walked across that. And when we got to the other side and looked back, here was Pharaoh and his army trying to cross. And the waters collapsed on them. Tell us another one! Tell us another one! And they would recount the things that went on. What stories they had to share. Talking about 
those days, whenever they were in the wilderness, wondering where they were going to get their food to eat, and they would say, you know what happened in those days? We'd wake up in the morning and there would be this fresh manna growing all over the ground. We'd go out and pluck it. And we'd eat it. There all kinds of manna recipes in those days. And it was delicious. And then when we got tired of the manna, as good as it was, we asked God for some protein. And he sent quail flying in. And the quail were flying about this high. They were flying just, you could just sit there and catch a quail. You could just sit there and club them. All the quail you want. Because God provided. Tell us another one. And the stories would go on and on. Oh, let me tell you about the time when we were in one part of the wilderness and there's no water to be found. And Moses cried out to God. And he smote the rock. And out of this rock, kids, you wouldn't believe it, but I'm telling you, as sure as I'm sitting here, I saw it with my own eyes. Out of this rock came flowing all the water. It was enough for everybody to drink. It was enough for our animals to drink. It was sufficient for all water from the rock. Tell us another one. Can you just imagine how exciting that would be? That's better than war stories. My goodness. And they passed these tales on. They told of the stories when God said, you haven't lacked anything. During those years in the wilderness, they didn't perish by hardship. They prospered by the hand of God. Their people increased. Their livestock increased. And furthermore, their clothes didn't even wear out. Their, their feet didn't blister. These things that we find it hard to understand or hard to believe passed on by those who literally lived it. So God says, I've been there for you all along. Don't forget those stories. I was with you. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit self-righteous here. And I'm thinking to myself, had I lived through any of those experiences, all of those experiences, I would be so clinging so tightly to God, nothing would remove me from him. I'm thinking, I've seen my God part the waters, destroy the enemy. I've witnessed God manifest his presence with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I could go to sleep. I didn't have to worry about anything. God was watching me. I could recount all those stories and more that I had shared with you. And I could go away saying, don't you tell me there isn't any God. I've seen him in action. Don't you try to get me not to live for him. I'm bound to him forever. What he has done for me, I could never, never, ever walk away from that. But the children of Israel did. So I get to thinking I'm so much better than they were. They saw it and they backslid. But I think if I had seen it, but I don't know, what would I have done? What would you have done? We always like to think the best of ourselves, don't we? But what would we have done? The fascinating part is the people who saw that, they still struggled to trust God. And so those of you who are saying, God, if you could just show me one miracle, I could trust you forever. I'm not so sure that's going to get the job done. 
Lord, if, you, if I could just see the blind eyes open once, I'd serve you for the, rest, for the rest of my life. Well, that doesn't necessarily turn your heart to God. What does turn your heart to God is you just make up your mind, this is what I'm going to do because it's right. Not because you saw a miracle that convinced you. By faith, you trusted in God and walked with Him. Now, here's some things that I learn from the wilderness wanderings of Israel. That in every case, it seems like I see similar things happening in my life from wilderness wanderings. We can make the wilderness anything we want to make it today. Do you want to make it that time before you serve the Lord? Make that your wilderness. You want to make it the time when you're just, the, 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 the time that's been behind you chronologically, and that's all wilderness because here you are right now. Make, make that the wilderness. Maybe a time of discouragement. Make that the wilderness. Whatever it is, look back on a time when it was real difficult for you. And you will associate that with what Israel did in going through the wilderness. And if I can summarize today, one of the first things I think I can see coming out of that whole story of Israel wandering in the wilderness is God is good. He's blessed every one of us. He's blessed you. Even if you have not dedicated your life to serving God and pleasing Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, He's blessed you. You've been a recipient of his blessings. Paul wrote in the book of Romans that it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Here's a couple of of translations of that. The NIV, New International Version, the New Living Translation. The NIV says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. His goodness. Here's the NLT. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intentioned to turn you away from your sin? He's been good to you. If you're not serving the Lord today, if you've never made your commitment to Him and you're alive and breathing today, it's because God's been good to you. He's been patient. He's been kind. He's been waiting. He's been just looking for that time when you finally give it up and surrender and come to Him and say, God, I'm tired of running from you. I want to come home. It's His kindness, His patience that brings us to Him. The next thing I I, I see coming out of that is I have to conclude I am my own worst enemy. I like to blame things on the devil made me do it. It's very handy. But you know so much of my problems that I have are because I blew it. I got out of God's moral will. I superimposed my will over God's will. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I caused trouble for myself. I see that in the story of Israel. The only bad things that happened to Israel in the entire wilderness experience are what they brought up on themselves. It wasn't because the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire failed them. 
It wasn't because those pillars that would lead them, led them in the wrong place. It was only because they disobeyed, they hesitated, they grumbled, they murmured, they complained, they doubted, they feared. Every bad thing that happened to them, they brought it upon themselves. I am my own worst enemy. It has to do with choices that I make, choices you make. It has to do with being disobedient to what God expects of us. It has to do with things like stubbornness, where God calls us and we we resist. I don't want to do that, God. I don't know how many people under my ministry have come to church, heard the clear proclamation of the Word, and got up and walked out of church uncommitted and unchanged because they didn't want to sell out to God. Walking into danger again. It's because of bad choices that we have problems. When we obey God, and we still have what we think are troubles, the comforting thing is we know that God is, number one, there for us, We can call upon Him. And number two, we know that He will use our difficulties and our trials to make something better of us than we were when we went into that. It's all good. It's all positive. I'm not saying if you follow God and believe Him, you will never have to struggle. I'm saying that when you do struggle, it's going to be a benefit to you before it's all over. Number three, I conclude, I must not take my blessings for granted. We read the story of Israel in the wilderness and we're puzzled, as I said before, how quickly they turned away from God because they were taking his blessings for granted. How can anyone witness those kind of miracles and not follow God with undying devotion? But I'm wondering, are you really looking close enough to see how God has blessed you? Do you have a tendency to allow the shadows of your troubles and your trials to obscure the blessings of God? I'll let you into my wife and and my life. There are times when we talk about our struggles and our trials... And we get to feeling sorry for ourselves. We throw a pity party and invite each other. And as we're partying in our pity, one of us, one of us curtails this whole silly nonsense and starts reminding the other, we're blessed. You know, that will abort all the, oh, woe is me. It really, really will. Because I know life is tough. But do you see the blessings? Or are you just taking the blessings for granted and casting them off and say, oh, yeah, sure, but what I'm angry about is the trial I'm going through today. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. You know, just for my wife and for me, we went through the most difficult times in our ministry 
when we were pastoring in California. Two episodes out there that, that it could have set us on the wrong track for the rest of our lives. If we had not just been committed to follow God. And, and the last one especially, when we packed up what belongings we had and crammed it into a U-Haul truck and had to leave behind what we couldn't fit on there, just giving stuff away, and came back to the Midwest not having a job, not knowing where we were going and what we were going to do, and so totally burnt from the strain of the ministry, not even sure we ever wanted to minister again. And we remember those times. That was pain, pain like I can't describe to you, emotional pain. I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when I felt as worthless, totally worthless to my family and to this world and to my God as that time. Total failure is what I felt like. Except I look at you and I look at this beautiful church And I, and I look at my, my son and my daughter-in-law standing up here worshiping God. And I look at those two little ankle biters running around. That it just steals my heart. And I say, we're blessed. We're blessed. Because those things all happened after we came back. Every bit of that came together after we came back. And I have to ask myself, God, I don't know what you had in store if we stayed there, but it couldn't have been anywhere near as good as what you had when we came back here. So when I went through the pain, went through the trials, I don't want to take God's blessings for granted. I don't want to become so focused on how hard it is that I discourage and insult God when He's up there probably saying, what about all the blessings that I have given you? Aren't you grateful? Should we shut our heart off at Him at that point and say, I don't want to talk about the blessings, God. I'm in a complaining mood right now. Or do we need to quit focusing on the trouble and lift our hands to the heavens and say, thank you, God. You've blessed me. You've blessed me. You've blessed me. You've blessed me. All the trials down here are meaningless. They're worthless. They fade in comparison to the good things God has brought to us. I will not take His blessings for granted. As a matter of fact, I want you to join me in that club. Would you do that this morning? And I want you to repeat after me. I will not take... God's blessings for granted. Do you mean it? Amen. The next point I see from this is I will put my trust in God because I have learned He takes care of me. I can learn from my past. He does that. And that should help shape my future. And I can... Use that as a basis, a defense for why I should trust God from this day out. Number five, 
I learned that God blesses obedience and he punishes rebellion. Isn't that simple? But if you look back over your life and where you've been, you can see that when you are in right relationship with God, the blessings flow. And when you're out of relationship with God, the troubles flow. And sometimes I say the troubles flow when you're in God's blessing, but it's always for good. All things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. But you don't have that promise. When you don't love God and you're not called according to His purpose and you're not exalting Him and lifting Him up and staying focused and in right relationship with Him. So things like the law of sowing and reaping that are so obvious. All you have to do is go out and sow some grass seed and you get grass. All I have to do is go out and plant some tomato plants, I get tomatoes. All they have to do in our field over here is go plant corn or go plant soybeans and they get Cornered, but it's not going to happen if you don't plant. The law of sowing and reaping. But it also works to the thing. If you, ba- if you sow bad seed, wicked seed, bad things are going to come up. I understand this. I know it. The law of action and reaction. It's so simple to comprehend. The principle of cause and effect. These are simple, childish things. But we understand these truths are so abundantly clear in all of life. But do you remember? How many of you here remember hee-haw? Stick your hand, date yourself. How many of you remember the old hee-haw routine? Doctor, doctor, I broke my arm in three places. And the doctor takes out this rubber chicken and smacks him across the head and says, well, stay out of those places. And I always laughed. It was a dumb joke. It was an old joke, but I loved it. And the reason we laugh is because, number one, is the the, the clever play on miscommunication there. And number two, because I know people that need the rubber chicken therapy. I've counseled them. That people sit down in counseling and they tell me all the troubles they have and what they're doing. And it's like, Why do you keep doing that? I don't know. I just do. It hurts. Quit doing it. Yeah, I want to find my rubber chicken. Quit going there. Quit doing those things. Don't go to those places. Stop it. Why do we participate? In the things that destroy us, and we do it again and again and again. Why do we, after we get into these things that are so self-destructive, and, and however we wake up, we wake up feeling guilty, worthless, hungover, drugged out, and go back and do it again? Why is it when... The uh, medical world tells us certain things that we do are going to kill us. We continue to commit suicide. Why is it we keep going back? This cause and effect, this sowing and reaping, I see it from my own life. If I do the good things, I'm going to reap good things. If I do the bad things, I'm going to reap bad things. And it doesn't seem to penetrate. I can clearly see God blesses obedience, and I can clearly see he punishes rebellion. 
And if he doesn't punish rebellion directly and immediately, I still know that being outside the moral will of God exposes us to the harm and the dangers that seem to lurk in the shadows of disobedience. So I'm, I'm exposed. I'm vulnerable. And I have to ask myself, do I really want to do that again? Do I want to be out there? Do I want to, want to be un, out from under the protective umbrella of God and expose myself? And at that time I said, no, I don't want to do that again. So don't do it. Number six, God is not obligated to sanction my plans. I often pray for God to give me the desires of my heart. One of my favorite ways to pray, not because it's a good way to pray, not because I recommend it, but because it is my human habit, is to pray and give my plans to God. You, you do that too. You draw out your whole life and you bring it before God and say, there it is, God, that is what I want. Now you start praying over it. God, you've got to bring this to pass in my life. But God is under no obligation to sanction your plans. You're under obligation to yield your will to His will. One must surrender to God's will. Two prominent times Jesus demonstrated that. When he prayed in the garden, Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. When they said, teach us how to pray, one of the things he inserted in that, in that model for how to pray, is thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire did not follow the Israelites and protect them. It led them. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, representative of God's presence, did not say, now you people get going, we'll be right behind you. It was God saying, follow me. So as it moved, they moved. Yet we like to think that God is a pillar that follows us around and watches over us and magically straightens out all our mistakes and makes our path straight even though we've chosen a crooked path. Follow Him! Make His will, your will, His mind, your mind. The third point is this. The wilderness prepares us for our future. If, if you would see in the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy, now Israel... Hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land of the Lord. God is giving them their future plans. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. In other words, everything you learned from being in the wilderness that has prepared you for being eligible to pass over into the promised land, those are the things that you're going to have to use and incorporate for doing what I now have for you to do. How hard has your life been? How bad have your struggles been? They have prepared you for what God yet wants you to do. Your wilderness is the school. How many college graduates would agree that the most important single thing they learned from college 
is not some bit of information, though you probably learned a lot of good information, but you learned how to learn. You learned how to study. You will be a student for the rest of your life. You cannot graduate from college and then spend the rest of your life just living on what they have given you. You have learned the skills to be able to dig out of life the things you need to know to survive and thrive and prosper. And so what they went through in the wilderness experience was how to follow God. That's what they needed to learn. Now from now on, they have to, in the future, be determined to follow God. The ones who didn't want to follow God, God got rid of. The ones who learned to follow God, God said to them, now we're going to go to the next step. We're going to go get your land. And it's going to be a struggle. You're going to fight a lot of people in order to actually possess your land. But what have you learned from your experience? I have learned to follow you. God says, that's what I want you to know. Do not add to what I tell you to do. Do not take away from what I tell you to do. Just do what I tell you to do. It's very simple. In other words, if you have learned anything in your past life, you should have learned this, how vitally, drastically, dramatically important it is to follow God and not to follow you or anything, or anyone else. Do not add. Do not subtract. Do what God asks you to do. Live according to His will. Bow your heads.